are Locked On Giants, your daily San Francisco Giants podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to Locked On Giants Baseball, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. My name is Ben Kaspik, and on this show, we provide daily episodes Monday through Friday talking about the San Francisco Giants in a way that's data-driven and rational, but also simple, passionate, and accessible to all. I'm a former contributor for the baseball statistics and analysis websites Beyond the Box Score and Rotographs. I've been podcasting about the Giants since 2015, and I'm a lifelong fan. And coming up on today's show, we are going to dip into the mailbag. Late last night, we uploaded a podcast about the last two games. So if you're looking for analysis of Logan Webb's brilliant start on Tuesday and the Giants' disappointing extra innings loss on Wednesday, you can access that podcast. But today, we're going to answer some questions that you guys submitted on Twitter. First question comes from Steve and Lovelady33. Steve asks, Yaz really hasn't hit at all. Are they concerned about him? And Lovelady33 asks, Is there any discussion about Yaz and his struggles? Sure seems like he can't catch up to hard stuff, especially up in the zone. He consistently fouls off good pitches to hit, swings through hard stuff up, and soft stuff in the dirt. Looks like he could use an IL stint. So I don't think they're going to put him on the IL, but... More broadly, I do think that there is concern about Mike Yastrzemski. So this kind of is interesting because right away, I mean, remember he got off to that really slow start in the first few games, and we said, like, it's so early, we can't read into this tiny sample. Well, the sample is much bigger now. He's played 102 games. He's had over 400 plate appearances. And because the team has been so good, and generally the offense has been so good, Yastrzemski's struggles, while disappointing and noticeable, haven't really been a major topic of conversation. But here we are, August 19th, he's played most of the year, batting average 218, on base percentage 308, slugging is 446. So that's a well above average 244 isolated power, and that's just about the only thing that's keeping him, I don't want to say afloat, But that is the source of his offensive contribution, is that when he gets his hits, he's doing damage with those hits. He does have 18 home runs. But the 218 average and just 308 on base percentage are low. That's a below average on base percentage, obviously a below average batting average. And I definitely do think there is cause for concern. He has rated as an above average base runner. He is doing well defensively, so he's still providing value, but it's a far cry from what expect you know from meeting expectations that he set for himself in his first couple of years, specifically last year when he played like an MVP candidate in the short season, was about sixty percent below uh, excuse me above average offensively, and this year he is hovering right around league average at one a one hundred two weighted runs created plus meaning about 2% above average offense. So, you know, that's within the margin of error to just be average. So diving a little deeper, 
looking at his line against right-handed pitching, he has still been solidly above average against right-handed pitching. And to me, that's encouraging because what this might just mean is that he needs to not be an everyday player and more of a platoon player. And that's okay. The Giants do this with so many of their players. And the thing is, you know, you could still get away with having him out there against lefties because he is providing value on the bases when he gets on and in the field. So in his career now, he's been 24% above average offensively against righties, and that's right in line with this year at 20% above average. But against left-handed pitching, this is basically where the big drop-off has come this season. The last couple years, he was actually better against lefties than righties, but this year that has completely tanked to the point where he's been about 50% below average offensively against left-handed pitching. The thing I will say, and I say this all the time, is that platoon splits in single season samples are really not relevant. And so when, you know, in 78 plate appearances last year, when we were saying he's even better against lefties, you can't say that. What I noticed, and a lot of you noticed as well, I'm sure, was that he did have really quality at bats against lefties and he did not seem to be, you know, overwhelmed at all. He had some really good at bats against some really tough lefties. So that led me to believe he can handle them. But that's what's driving his struggles this year. There's more to it, obviously. It's not just, oh, don't let him face lefties. I agree that the quality of his at-bats is just not very good. There's a lot of, yeah, up-in-the-zone fastballs. He just he either can't lay off or can't do anything with it. And then he does chase below the zone sometimes. I'm going to read to you something that concerned me a lot when I read it, initially when this came out about a month ago. Fangraphs does this trade value series every year where they rank the top players in terms of their active trade value. And you would think Yastrzemski, I mean, if he was duplicating what he did last year, that he would rank pretty highly on this list because he's under club control through 2025. He's not even in arbitration yet, so he's making roughly the league minimum salary. So if you're getting great production out of a player under control who's at an affordable cost, that's how you have a lot of trade value. However, Fangraphs didn't even put him in the top 50, and one of their writers wrote the following. Speaking of my personal top 50, I lost count of the number of times I shoved Yastrzemski up the list only for Kevin, one of our writers, or one of our team sources to push back. There seems to be a broad consensus that he's been figured out but I just don't get it. He walks a lot, doesn't strike out that much, and hits for power. He plays a credible right field and a not-so-credible center. Sure, he's 30, so the good times won't continue forever, but he's not even arbitration eligible until, until 2023. And to me, he's a first-division outfielder. Industry consensus has him off the list, so he's not on there, but consider this my minority report. So that concerned me, especially, I mean, we're talking about team sources. They have, you know, sources who work for teams saying that he's been figured out. And then Kevin, when he says one of our writers, Kevin used to work in the Astros front office. So it sure looks like he's been figured out to an extent when you watch the way teams pitch him. They all kind of pitch him the same. And then to see that written, I, I it was kind of like a gut punch because... I was just continually hoping Yastrzemski would kind of break out of it, but it it does look like there's a game plan against him and that it's working. 
So he's going to have to adjust off of that. And there's a lot more to say about this. I put a note on Twitter the, Twitter the other day that oftentimes his struggles seem to be correlated with pulling the ball more and his successful stretches seem to be correlated with when he's not pulling the ball as much. So that's obviously an oversimplification, I would say. It's not that simple. Just go the other way and you're going to be fine. Sometimes it's hard to go the other way. Sometimes you're trying and the pitches just aren't, you're not able to do it with the type of pitches you're receiving. But anyway, yes, I think there's concern about Yastrzemski, and I think we need to adjust our expectations, perhaps, from him being like an MVP candidate to just being a solid outfielder. So, I don't know. Hopefully he can turn it around, but I'm more concerned than I have been at any point, basically, since he first started to establish himself. Anyway, coming up next, more questions and answers. We'll talk about Lamont Way Jr., Farhan Zaidi saying he was going to target pitching and then not, and much more. So stay tuned for that. But first, this episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. With the ever-increasing number of makes and models, it's now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. Why endure the often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning? Is your Odyssey an LX or an EX? and wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer, choosing the only brand their warehouse happens to carry. You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. Why choose to spend 30, 50, even 100% more for the exact same auto parts at a chain store or car dealership? Random example, a Honda Odyssey fuel pump is $353 from a chain store and just $216 from rockauto.com. Go to rockauto.com right now to see all the parts available for your car or truck. Write locked on in their how did you hear about us box so they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices. All the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com Everybody knows it's beneficial to be eating more fish to get omega-3s and protein, but the seafood counter can be really intimidating. Which fish tastes the best? What type of cut? Can you really be sure about the quality? That's a big one for me. Wild Alaskan Company takes the guesswork out of buying wild-caught seafood. They deliver high-quality, sustainably sourced, wild-caught seafood right to your door. Each shipment contains premium, wild-cut, individually-wrapped portions of delicious seafood that's ready to prepare and easy to cook. Wild Alaskan Company seafood is how nature intended it to be, always wild, never farmed or modified, and contains no antibiotics. And right now you can get $15 off your first box of premium seafood when you visit wildalaskancompany.com MLB. That's wildalaskancompany.com MLB for $15 off your first box. wildalaskancompany.com MLB. Make sure to use our URL to let them know that we sent you. All right, as promised, we're going to get into more of your questions. Brain Fried Brian asks, why Chatwood over Jackson? Simply a matter of Jackson having pitched recently, so they needed a fresh arm, or is this a long-term move? So just to explain exactly what's being asked here, Tyler Chatwood was recently added to the 40-man roster and added to the Major League roster, and in a corresponding move, they optioned Jay Jackson to AAA. 
And the move was questionable in and of itself. I think people were, in fact, questioning why they did this. But then it, <laughs> those questions were amplified when Chatwood came out there yesterday and just completely melted down in extra innings. He kind of survived the first extra frame decently, but then in the, what was it, the 12th or the 11th, he just kind of melted down and gave up a lot of runs. So the thing is, Tyler Chatwood is an interesting arm, and I think it's it's added depth, but the question is why Chatwood over Jackson? I mean, so ultimately, I'm not entirely sure. I think it may be a combination of both factors. Like you said, the fact that Jay Jackson had thrown recently and they just needed a fresh arm. That's definitely a possibility. And they probably just wanted to have a look at Chatwood. They're obviously like working on stuff when, when they're in the minors. They have you know data about every bullpen session they throw. And it's they they probably believed Tyler Chatwood would be able to make an impact at the major league level. And then that that just adds another layer of depth when you have Chatwood doing well at the major league level. And then you've got a guy like Jackson who can be called upon when needed. And I'm certain as I look at the numbers, I didn't even quite, it's been a you know week or so since I looked at Jay Jackson's season numbers and they're really good. And so the more I look at that, the more I'm, I'm not sure exactly what's going on. He was put on the IL for like one day with the COVID vaccine side effects. Maybe he's continuing to have side effects. I doubt it. I mean, those side effects don't last that long. So I'm not sure. I'm kind of just as confused as you are. It Would would it be different, though, if we saw Tyler Chatwood just go out there and strike out six in two innings yesterday and not allow any runs? Then, you know, it might make more sense. But as we look at, like, did it have to be Jay Jackson? Like, who else might they have been able to option in order to get Chatwood onto the roster? They don't have many other options. The only other options were Zach Littell and Tyler Rogers. Nobody else in this bullpen can be optioned. So it probably has to do with what you're saying. They just felt like they needed fresh arms. And I think Tyler Chatwood is potentially a candidate to start with the injuries the Giants are dealing with in their rotation. But after seeing Chatwood yesterday... He was throwing 97, so that's a good sign, but I would rather see Jackson if you're trying to get outs late in a game or even in any part of the game. So we'll see. The thing is, Tyler Chatwood has does have starting experience, so he can give you length, and that's probably what they felt like they needed, and they did need it yesterday. Curtis asks, might be blasphemy to say, but doesn't it seem like Lamont Wade Jr. watches a lot of strike three calls? Sorry, very minor critique of a very productive player. You don't have to apologize, in my opinion. It's a fair question. And the way I'm going to answer this is, I mean, I really am glad that you asked this question because it speaks to the philosophy of this Giants team. Conventional wisdom in the sport of baseball has been that with two strikes, you have to expand your zone, protect the zone, and do whatever you can, basically, to not strike out. Especially striking out looking is was considered like one of the worst things you could do. However, this Giants team has a very different philosophy. They, in no matter what the count, they do not want you to be 
protecting the zone. What they want you to be doing, no matter the count, is looking for a pitch that you can drive. And if it's not there, they want you to take it, even if it's a called strike, even if it's a called third strike. So this is a similar criticism people throw out at Brandon Belt. And have you heard Gabe Kapler and or Farhan Zaidi, but mostly Kapler, talking about how they think Brandon Belt's approach is the ideal approach that a hitter can have? So I think that that scared a lot of people initially. But if you just look at the way this lineup has been functioning, and in fact, we've said this like for years and years, if you just had a lineup of eight or nine Brandon Belts, that would be an extremely productive lineup. And that's kind of what we're seeing, like not entirely, but, you know, up and down the lineup, they have guys who have the same approach. So anyway, the point is, it may be that he takes third strikes, but when that happens, just know it probably means he didn't get the pitch that he was looking for, and they don't want you to swing unless you get that pitch. And it's hard to argue with it because that's a big reason why they've been able to dramatically improve their chase rate. They do not chase pitches out of the zone very often at all. Their walk rate is among the best in the league, and it's why they hit for so much power even in two-strike counts. Like if you watch the television broadcast, they're constantly showing notes, including about you know the Giants hitting the most home runs in the league with two strikes. I think they're at 69 two-strike home runs, which is already the most in franchise history, or it's close to it, and it's leading the league. And, I mean, think about it. It used to be that with two strikes, you were just supposed to start flailing at... You know, the point is, like, if you're up there trying to protect the zone, you are going to end up chasing, because pitches that look like they're on the edge may dart away from the edge, and then you're going to flail at a two-strike slider that's six inches outside but if you're looking heart of the plate and you see that pitch and you think it's on the edge and you don't swing at it and it breaks out of the zone guess what that's how you don't chase that's how you draw walks so the benefits far outweigh the drawbacks i would say all the damage they do with two strikes all the the lack of chasing and getting on base via the walk that is all the result of this approach and You're going to see more called third strikes, but that's okay. It's better than, you know, chasing a pitch. Not only might you swing and miss, but you might make weak contact. And sometimes everybody always says, put the ball in play, put the ball in play. There are definitely situations where it's actually better to strike out, like than hit some kind of weak contact, especially contact on the ground when the double play comes into, into play. So anyway, I hope that makes sense. And it definitely changed the way I view at-bats to, to know that this is the philosophy they want hitters to have. Anyway, coming up next, more questions and answers. But first, Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. The baseball season is in full swing and you can track all the action at Bet Online. Get all the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs, including MLB, NBA, NHL, and your UFC MMA action. Before the next pitch, head over to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sporting news, sign-up bonuses, and contest information. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore as this is your chance to get into the game as teams prep for their runs to the playoffs. 
Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit using the promo code LOCKEDON. That's promo code LOCKEDON for a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit at betonline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right, here we go. Final round of questions and answers. Michael asks, was Farhan punking other GMs when he said publicly that starting pitching was his priority at the trade deadline? You know, I don't think so. I think that they, frankly, came away empty-handed. I don't think he's just going to say that because it makes him look bad locally. And I, I wouldn't say look bad, but it is odd to hear him publicly say that and then have them not come away with a single starting pitcher. Something we have said repeatedly on this show, especially around the trade deadline, is that you can't make other teams deal with you. You can't make them accept your offers. I really do think that they wanted Max Scherzer and they felt like they had a good chance to get him. The fact that the Nationals decided to like include Trey Turner in the Scherzer package in order to maximize their return probably dramatically affected what the Giants' chances were of getting Scherzer because as good of a player as Trey Turner is, I'm not sure that that was the deal that they were looking to make. I think maybe they just thought they would, you know, in a straight deal for Scherzer, they might be able to offer the best return. But once you add Trey Turner, that definitely changes the equation. And the Nationals, rightly so, wanted a lot more. And they ended up getting a pretty massive return for those two players. And then outside of that, there weren't a lot of starting pitchers that were dealt. Really, I can only think of a handful, like less than five somewhat impact starting pitchers. I mean, we saw like John Lester and Jay Happ get dealt. And I'm sure that the Giants didn't really want any part of either of those players. So no, I don't think he was punking other GMs. I just think that it ultimately didn't work out and teams are probably really protective of their starting pitching right now because everybody's conscientious of the fact that we're in kind of uncharted waters with a full season after a really short season last year so it could come back to bite them they're already like running on fumes to an extent with Cueto on the IL and Di Scofani getting hurt we don't quite know how serious it is with the right ankle discomfort yesterday only lasting an inning and a third. And then if you make the playoffs, which, you know, Fangraphs has their odds at 99.9%, what does that playoff rotation look like, assuming you make it into a full, you know, five-game and then potentially seven-game series? Talking about Gosman, Webb, Discofani, Wood, I think that if those guys are healthy, that's a solid playoff rotation. It's not the best rotation out there, but you know, it's a solid one, but it would be a lot better to have, you know, Scherzer, Gosman, Webb, right? A lot better. Next question comes from Curtis, and actually, I'm going to highlight Curtis's question, but a lot of people asked a similar question. Uh, Curtis says, are there any starting pitching options that could potentially be called up, especially given some of the recent injuries to our current staff? So I'm I'm honestly not entirely sure, but you know, a player like Sean Jelly, a lot of you asked about Sean Jelly. He was recently promoted to Triple A, but he has struggled in a couple starts in Triple A, not striking anybody out, has been roughed up a little bit. It is definitely a possibility 
And as some of you have noted, he's Rule 5 eligible this offseason. So he's going to have to be added to the 40-man roster in the offseason to protect him from that draft. I'm certain he would be taken. So they will have to add him to the 40-man. So, you know, that potentially means it's justifiable to add him now and then just give him a look. So, yeah, it's definitely a possibility, but I would imagine they would want to see a little bit more success than what they've seen so far in AAA. However, you got we have to look beyond the numbers, right? Like the numbers we get do not necessarily tell the story. They've got much better data that, that they think is more predictive of success than just like ERA in Sacramento. So there's Jelly... And for those of you who don't know, Jelly is the 6'11 right-handed pitcher, the Giants' second-round draft pick in 2018. There's also Sammy Long, as far as I know. He's healthy and just he's been optioned to AAA as of a few days ago. But they're probably going to need Sammy Long down the stretch here, although generally he hasn't performed all that well at the major league level. Peripherals are better than the ERA, though. Like, the ERA is being driven up by a high left on base percentage. So honestly, like across the board, the numbers are solid. Strikeout rate is solid. Home run rate, solid. Average on balls in place, solid. Expected ERA, fielding independent pitching, everything looks decent. And so I would expect we have definitely not seen the end of Sammy Long, and he may have to make some starts down the stretch here. And perhaps, you know, like I said, Tyler Chatwood is on the 40-man roster and is capable of making starts. So don't be surprised. I mean, he's one of the guys who's been called up and we may see him make some starts. I'm not entirely sure which other pitchers could be added. Sometimes they surprise us. But I would think if you're talking about like a prospect, I would think Sean Jelly is that leading candidate because of the Rule 5 eligibility this winter. Anyway, that is all the time we have for today. Coming up tomorrow, we're going to be doing a crossover with Jason Burke from Lockdown A's, so you're not going to want to miss that. Once again, my name is Ben Kaspik. You can follow me on Twitter at Ben Kaspik. That's K-A-S-P-I-C-K. If you like this show, please consider rating it or leaving a review. It helps me out so much, so thank you in advance, and thank you to everyone who's done so already. Also, please tell your friends, tell your family, tell your fellow Giants fans about this show. I can't wait to be with you again tomorrow. Thanks again for listening. You are now Locked on Giants. Mike Rowe here with a few thoughts on my favorite sweatshirt. A classic zip-up hoodie that used to be navy blue but has since faded to what the fashionistas call a distressed indigo. It's 13 years old, soft as a flannel bathrobe, and after a few hundred dirty jobs, demonstrably and undeniably indestructible. This is the kind of sweatshirt girlfriends like to permanently borrow. But I've held on to this one because I got it from American Giant. American Giant makes all their stuff right here in the USA so they can control every link in their own supply chain. That matters, because when you buy American Giant, you not only get great quality, you create jobs for people in factory towns all over the country. No pressure, but 
If you give a damn about the business of making things in America, you got to support the companies who are doing it right. Go to American-Giant.com slash Mike to get 20% off your first order. That's American-Giant.com slash Mike. 